You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dancing Man, a fabulous invalid podcast featuring exclusive behind-the-scenes interviews with the cast and creative team of Bob Fosse's Dancing on Broadway. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jamie Dumont. And we're your hosts. We're also excited to be co-producers of Dancing on Broadway and thrilled to be back in the Roosevelt Cocktail Room at Civilian for another conversation. Yes, and if you're a frequent listener of the show, you'll know that we don't only talk to cast members of the show, we also talk to members of the creative team. And this week, we are really excited to be talking to Reed Bartlemy and Harriet Jung, who are the incredible costume designers. Reed and Harriet both met at FIT, we'll get into that, and have been very, very successful designers, mostly in the dance world for ballet and modern dance companies. Uh, They make their Broadway debut with Danson. And um, if you've seen the show, you know precisely why they were hired. And uh, it was thrilling after the show opened to read all the reviews and to see that their costumes got raves across the board. Well, let's talk to them. Let's do it. Welcome to the show. We are talking to you just a few days after opening night, which you must be exhausted. The show got great reviews and we couldn't help notice that every review raved about your work. In fact, our favorite was the critic who called them zesty. How are you feeling today? Are you feeling zesty? Maybe zesty's not the word. <laughs> I'm not yet zesty. Not yeah. No. I think we're on the come down. I of feel relieved. Relieved mm-hmm. and t- exhausted. But hap- like glad, glad. <laughs> you, you both know we've been working on this since last fall, winter, because we soft opened at the Globe in San Diego. Right. So it's been a very long time. We, so, you know, it's, we've spent a long time with dancing. And the show wasn't frozen until the week that it opened, which was, you know, last week, right? Which I imagine means that the costumes weren't frozen until then. Is that, is that accurate? No, I don't think we really froze them until the day before. Oh, there really. you go. Okay. I mean, yeah. minor shifts. I don't think anything like skirt hems, sure. things like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we were making substantial changes maybe like a week before putting in whole new things it's been our whole life for quite a while yeah now is that it no more costumes for dancing is that are you done or or are there are there any things you didn't get around to that now you will get around to we have fittings tonight already scheduled (laughs) for some of the understudies so 
still working on some things. Yeah. Yeah. There's still incoming built costumes. There's six understudies. Right. And right now their tracks are like mostly complete. And then when they've had to go on during previews, we've improvised. So they still have like special garments coming in for fittings. Most of it's done and it's just the little, little few fittings, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, And as much as we sort of, it'd be nice to walk away from the project. We also hope that there's a future for dancing as like, maybe it'll tour. I feel like they'd love it in, in Europe. There's not a language issue (laughs) they'd love. So we're hoping like things go on. I mean, it'll be hell to put it, (laughs) put it back up on new bodies. It'll be awful, but yeah. But also in a, in a good way. Yeah. 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 Well, we're also hoping that it has a very long, yeah. successful really? life. Yes. Yeah. Tour very the world, so. tour America. Wow. Run have, on Broadway. How many times have you seen it? Uh, I keep telling people a redacted number of times, but I've actually lost count. I, um, I know the number, but I'm oh, not going to tell you. Oh, on. <laughs> no, we've been there a lot. Yeah, and we've, we're there a lot. And we've spied you standing at the back of the uh, of the orchestra. In fact, we had the great <laughs> privilege of sitting in the row behind you opening night. I watched you all watching the show, oh, which no. was really a treat. <laughs> you, I, we I mean, got I, into it opening night. Yeah. Wow. The sun, the relief mixed with this amazing show, and you know, a bit of wine, and I was having the best time of my life. So, okay, <laughs> before we get into your costumes, because we've been asking all the dancers this, what What's your favorite moment in the show? As a, as an audience member on opening night, what was your favorite moment in the show? My favorite has been consistent this whole time. And it's, um, ooh, can no, I no. say Calypso? Yeah. yeah. I think though it's called Percussion, Percussion 3, three right? yeah. is my choreographically, just the performance. I love our costumes for it. We love yeah, that it's part. the best. But opening night, I have to say after Sing, Sing, Sing was like a very exciting moment. Oh, yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. The audience just went bananas. As they should. Yeah, yeah we love As a berserk should. audience. Yeah. yeah. Really <laughs> exciting. Well, we're going to get into all the little nitty gritty about your costumes and your process, oh, which we're really excited about. No, in a fun <laughs> way. In a fun way, Reed. Don't worry. Don't worry. We hope we remember things. <laughs> yeah. well, make it up. Yeah, we uh, might have, we might have to. But no one get, is going to question you. <laughs> before we get there, we had read that you both met at uh, the Fashion Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did very different backgrounds. I believe, Reed, you had a career as a dancer. Mm-hmm. And Harriet, you were like a scientist, right? Like cellular biology or something, right? I do have a major <laughs> a degree in molecular and cell biology. How do you know all these things? <laughs> I did a little research, you know? Wow. They're, we sit they're with professional. You. Yeah. Okay, wow. <laughs> so we're wondering if you could share with our, with our audience just a little bit about how you met and how you started your partnership. We both enrolled at FIT at the same exact time, I guess with the aim of a kind of career transition. And we were both doing the like evening and weekend program for people who have jobs. So we were in the women's wear program together, which meant we had a bunch of our classes together. And we, I was sort of drawn to Harriet. I was like, she's quiet and she's talented. And I forced her to be my friend and talk to me about the work we were doing. Cause there wasn't a lot of like, intellectual discourse about the thing, the sort of tasks we were doing at FIT was just Mm -hmm. a lot of work. And I wanted to like talk about it more and understand what we were doing. And Harriet would allow that. (laughs) (laughs) I was very focused. I was working and very focused on this like career transition. I was trying to make happen in New York. I'm I'm from California actually. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wasn't really paying attention to the people around me or even interested in 
making friends at that point. But Reed early on, I mean, he's a charmer. He's a talker immediately was like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> we had a really good teacher our first semester at school named Mary Bridgman, who sort of encouraged discourse in mm. talking about design presentations. And I just, that did sort of didn't exist in other people's classes, but I just carried it with me through the whole curriculum. And mm. then, then what happened? Well, I finished the program in two years and then I got you know, my, my dream, a job as a women's wear designer with Jill Stewart in New York. And then Reed. I took another year to finish because I was also being a dancer through the whole thing. So there was, I would miss key classes certain semesters. So I had to pick up the slack with the last year. And then I started asking, people started asking me in the dance world, oh, now that you know about clothes, you, will you make my costumes? And I was like, uh Costumes was kind of like a bad word at FIT. Mm. You know, if you were being critiqued on your project, like the word costume was an insult. Why is that, do you think? There's an association with like a kind of broadness and a kind of on the noseness mm. with costumes that like fashion tends to try to shy away from. Fashion wants to like figure out what is new and what is cool and what is sexy. And costumes are kind of looking... There's a different frame of reference at times. I don't think that's always true and doesn't have to be true. And I think Harriet and I have like made a lot of effort to make that not true in our work. So I was resistant, but it just felt like another thing to try, another way to like figure out how to make clothes. And at a certain point, I was overwhelmed with school and a couple people at that time were asking for costumes for various things. And I asked Harriet to collaborate with me mm. on a couple of projects in my last year. And that was that. We just yeah. kept going. Off and to the races. Off <laughs> to the races. And one of our first earliest clients was Justin Peck. He was also just starting sort of. Right. He, he was asking us to design a duet for like a Youth America Grand Prix gala. And this is before Justin was established really as a choreographer in New York City Ballet. We really treated it like we're, we are... <laughs> We want this we job. We were applying for a fashion job. We, <laughs> we we created a full new collaborative portfolio for Justin. And after that, he was like, okay. But I think he would have probably said, okay, no either matter way. What. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that became a very fruitful partnership that you had, right? Together. Oh, it continues. Continues. Yeah. We've done like 15 to 20 dances for Justin Peck. And mm -hmm. then we have two more coming up this spring and summer. So yeah. It's on and on. So primarily you've worked in the world of ballet. Is that fair to say? Or or just dance in general? Yeah, ballet and dance. Yeah, yeah dance yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah like yeah. the breadth of our work goes from the ballet and then to sort of more esoteric performance-based dance work. Mm -hmm. um, and then even like more classical modern dance companies. Yeah, yeah. So dance in yeah. general. New York, a lot of the time. And, and now then, Broadway. And now Broadway. And now Broadway. And now Broadway. <laughs> We're Broadway now and babies. Forever. This <laughs> is our first Broadway show. So how did you come to Danson or how did Danson come to you? We got an email <laughs> from Joey Parnes, which we thought was fake. Yeah. Because we didn't know that that's how you can get a Broadway job. Nor did we, had we heard of Joey Parnes. So we thought this is a scam. <laughs> we don't know a, anything about Broadway. Mm -hmm. Who is this person? This is a con artist. And so I... Texted Justin Peck. I said, "Who do you know who Joey Parnes is? And he was like, oh, yeah, he was one of the partners of XYZ and worked with me. Carissa, I don't know. Deta he said it was real. And so we were like, wow, wow. And so then 
We had to do a Zoom with Joey. Zoom with Joey. It went well. Then we had to meet with Wayne Salento. Also went well. And then we sent them a follow-up email to say, like, what do you want us to do next? And they said, you're hired. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. So did you have to present them with any, like, initial designs or anything? Or they just looked at your portfolio, all the work you've done, and said, yes, we want them. They looked at our website, had some, you know, got to kind of talk to us and get to know us. And then... I think they perhaps vetted us through people we knew who kind of bridged the gap between Broadway and dance. Mm -hmm. I think Corinne Herrera is the one who really knew who we were. Well, it's fascinating because if you look historically at the original dancing, Willa Kim was the costume designer. Iconic. Iconic, right? And she was revolutionary in terms of the material that she brought to Broadway, right? And in terms of the actual fabric, right? Like the literal makeup of costumes, but also had had a dance background as well. It would make sense that the impulse would be, okay, well, let's find people who know how to costume for dance since right. we've got an all-dance show, right? right? Um, so I'm curious, as you were getting to work on the show, once you were hired, once you got through all the Zooms and the calls and the vetting, how did you start your process? Was it a lot of research? Was it... Uh, sort of, you know, kind of looking to your own vision and not wanting to focus too much on what had been done in 1978. Share a little bit about how you approached your designs. Well, for me, I felt early on the message I got from Wayne was he is, we are not interested in looking too much to what happened visually in the seventies in the, the original dancing. So we did, a. I did, you know, we looked at a little video footage, we looked things up online, but I personally did not do too much research and mostly focused on what I'm interested in now and what this show sounds like, looks like now. At the time, it felt like there was very little to draw on in terms of physical research. There mm-hmm. was a crummy video and there was like a couple drawings that Christine, who was one of the stagers, sent us from from Willa's archive. But yeah, we were going on very little and we were in conversation with Wayne and Corinne. And then we put together a kind of visual Bible of ideas and color codes and things that we could draw on to, to make sure the show would sort of hold together once everything was designed. And then it was really just a process of like presenting ideas to Wayne and then shifting them until he would have a comfortable reaction to it. Mm. And that continued up until last week. (laughs) (laughs) And I imagine, I mean, since you're coming from the dance world, you're very experienced at taking something that's either new, like a new collaboration with Justin Peck, right? And creating a a world and and a sensibility from whole cloth. Or even if you're interpreting something that's been done before, you know, dance is obviously a more abstract art form. There's story and there's character, but lots of times that story and character can be, again, very abstract. And you've already referenced one number in the show, Percussion, which is one of the more abstract parts of the whole show. So, you know, I imagine it can be both very freeing to not have like, you know, if you're doing wicked, right? There's a very set story and characters and a world that you can sort of, that you're kind of confined to. With this, I imagine you had sort of a, a freedom to come to it with any ideas you wanted and then to see what would stick. Was that your experience? The first section we saw in one of the early workshops was Calypso. Mm-hmm. And then in a th- the next workshop, we saw Ding. 
And I thought this is, they were smart to hire us for this. Seeing, seeing what those sections offer to the show, as we kind of tried, started to understand more of what this show was and how varied the mood and the way in which the show sort of touches down with narrative, then things became a little bit more challenging for us. We had to exercise design muscles that we don't often have to, that we're mm. not called upon to exercise. Like people started asking us about hats and I had no idea. I don't know any hats. <laughs> what is a fedora? What is a pork pie? What is a Stetson? I have no idea. So this was a whole education for us in like shapes of hats, shapes of jackets, shapes, you know, things that we don't normally deal with in abstract dance. Wayne was instrumental really in helping us to find our way into sections that were more sort of conventionally costume, mm -hmm. like theater costume. Big City Mime would be an example, right? Yeah. Well, and Sing Sing Sing, <laughs> sing too. Sing, sing. Yeah. Well, well, Sing 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 came more from our us. own desires yeah. and our visual research. Harriet found an image of a... I I really was looking at Cher and sort of Bob Mackie, kind mm. of frothy, sparkly images. And we felt that that was right for this yeah. scene. Yeah. And that stuck from day one. Like our very first design presentation for Sing 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 is very close to what it is today. What's an example of something that is wildly different from what your initial concept was? America. Whoa. Mm. <laughs> have you have you seen we, footage yeah. of the or were you at we, the old globe? We were, we were at, at the, the old globe. globe. And, yeah. and honestly, I I remember what Ida was wearing, right? Yes. I remember how I that's the first thing I clocked was how different Ida's costume is. And then obviously the we call them the superhero suits. Please forgive us. That's fine. Um, <laughs> which I don't recall uh at all, but I don't remember any other costume in, in America. They were cobalt blue and they had these like kind of bolero jackets with a satin sash. Mm. Like it, we were referencing like drumline stuff. Bands, and band um, uniforms. Yeah. yeah. We never liked them, I should say. <laughs> you made them, but you didn't like them. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we liked like uh, the sketch part we were into. When we mm. sketched it, we were like, this seems like, like it could idea. work. Also, this was based on seeing rehearsal which is very bare bones, no projections. Right. And it felt like it could work in the rehearsal space. And then we got to San Diego, saw all the other elements, and it just became too comical. And it that wasn't the message clearly that they were going for. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole band element didn't make sense anymore. We regrouped. We realized it had to be kind of more stripped down and the dance, the final number of America has this incredible choreography with all this pivoting. And so we had this idea that the clothes needed to be different on each side. So you get this effect of the, the pivoting. And so we went with black and white, which is easy to create like a stark contrast. When did the gloves and the bowler hats come into the picture? Really last, late in the game. Yeah, we noticed it late in, in previews. Late right? in the yeah. game. We weren't yeah. sure if they just hadn't been ordered in time or or if or if that was something that nope. you just, you added on. Wayne. Wayne <laughs> called me on a Saturday afternoon and left me a message. <laughs> and he yeah, said. And the, the night before that, I had run into Wayne just like as I was leaving. He was like, what about bowler hats for America? I was like, okay. <laughs> 
you famously not knowing a lot about hats and suddenly now <laughs> I know now, about, oh he said a derby and I was like I literally know what that is, which is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to this project, right? Yeah. Now you're a hat expert. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am curious, since we're talking about it, you both obviously had to learn some new language in terms of the costuming that you were doing. What's the biggest surprise? Like, what's your favorite thing that you hadn't worked with before or hadn't costumed or hadn't even thought about that now you're excited about? When I watch the show now, I get kind of like a kick out of like sloppy menswear. So like Manny Herrera's track, I really love. Like I feel proud of his costume track because mm. it feels real and lived in and like he seems so comfortable in it. And that's new for me to like experience like something looking disheveled and being like, I love it. I would imagine you didn't expect you to be doing prison wear. Well, the <laughs> twice in one show. <laughs> I mean, big deal takes place in the 30s. There was a lot of visual research that was pulled, and I was initially going to do these like very correct prisoner costumes with like broad blue and white stripes, but it wasn't meant to be in terms of like money and and time when we were at the Old Globe, and so we just pulled all these distressed jumpsuits that they mm. already had, and then Wayne and Crin loved them. And so we just went forward with those for the New York production, but they weren't the original intention. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com Judy was boring Hello Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com It's my little escape Now Judy's the life of the party Oh baby Mama's bringing home the bacon Whoa Take it easy Judy The Chumba life is for everybody So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes Chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, something that you've already referenced at the top in the context of, um, you know, future productions, right? Let knock on wood. That means fittings. That means new bodies. That means, you know, a whole process that has to happen. We interviewed um, William Ivy Long on this mm. podcast years ago, actually, before the pandemic. And one thing he said to us that stuck with me is that he knows he's done it right when during the fitting he gets a smile from the person he's, he's you know, fitting, uh -huh. right? How do you know at, at what point in the process that you've like, you've, you've nailed it? You've got it exactly right. Do you have, is it in the fitting? Is it when you see it on stage? Is it, is there no one moment? Well, I want to just go back a little bit to say that another thing that Wayne and Curran really Sorry. made important about costuming the show is that let's treat these performers as individuals, even within the show. So even if it's a group look, we were, you know, very interested in knowing these people as, you know, actors, but also people and what they enjoy wearing, what makes them look good, what makes them feel good, what's going to make them perform their best in these specific sections. For us, sometimes it's very clear because they, we, we create an environment where I think they all pretty much felt comfortable telling us, this is no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so we've had, um, yeah, it was always, there was always dialogue happening and getting to know these actors. We knew what made them feel good. Also what highlighted what they wanted highlighted on their bodies. It was always very clear with this group, whether they liked it or not. They they would tell us. Yeah. 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 Was that new for a director or choreographer to say to you, I want you to costume based on, or I want you to consider the individual and the personality. Was that something you'd never heard before? A lot of times in dance, we do sort of one look for this entire group, especially in ballet. There's sort of a uniformity that's, you know, Mm -hmm. encouraged. Mm -hmm. Um, Not always, but yeah, you know, that does happen often. So it was, it was made, it was interesting to have Wayne be like, I I really want them to be themselves also. Mm. And Which then good. for you as designers, how was that creatively knowing that you, you weren't going to be doing uniform looks throughout the show, that you were going to be able to design multiple looks for different personalities as an artist? Did that feel, was that daunting or was it liberating? It was both. It mm. was way more work, you know, <laughs> like a number, like crunchy. It's just one number, but it is individual looks for everybody. Right. And it's not just 16, it's 22. Right. Because right. the understudies are also their own thing. They can't duplicate anyone because you never know who they're going in for. But it was also an incredible challenge that I I loved doing. And it you know, hope hoping the show goes on, if there are other cast members, we will have to put on our dance and design hats again and create individual looks for them because they also can't just be repeats of something. Well, and, you, and you want the job. <laughs> I want the job. <laughs> we want the job still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's very clear from at least observing all the social media um, that the cast does that they really love working with you and that they are so uh, uh, proud of their costumes and how they feel in their costumes and how they look in their costumes. Um, and I imagine that bond that you've created with the dancers you know, came as a part of working with them one-on-one, you know, on, on specific looks and, and, and how they felt in the clothes themselves. Yeah. I mean, we've spent hundreds of hours with these people. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen every surface of their bodies. Like it's a very intimate situation Mm. to be in fittings for so long. And also like you, it's so vulnerable. It's a really vulnerable situation to, have to be a dancer and perform on stage and then also be in this environment where someone else is deciding what you're going to wear. And there's a kind of like negotiation that has to take place between us and their feelings and what we want and what they want. And it's just a lot of like emotional labor in the room to get through all these fittings and they, they go on, which is really insane. I mean, (laughs) that we've been fit doing fittings with these people for, over a year now. It's really incredible. But yeah, we're very like, we have an intimate relationship with all of them at this point. And having been able to spend time with them for this long and having this, the chance at the old globe to do a soft opening was really crucial in being able to design these individual looks that they all love for Broadway. It was interesting. When we interviewed the playwright, Matthew Lopez, he said to us that theater is all about limitations. <laughs> so often it's about what you can't do, um, but also challenges, right? Because unlike film and TV, you're working in a live medium and you know, you've know you got a certain number of things. One of the limitations is always a budget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which for costumes is not a small thing, I imagine, right? When you're sourcing materials and making decisions about 
you know, how you're going to build and all that. So I wonder if we could tick through a couple of the like different factors that play into a design that might be limitations, but also opportunities. One that comes to mind for me is lighting, right? Because you can design a costume that you think looks amazing and looks amazing on the person. And then they get on stage and the light hits it a certain way and you go, oh crap, you know, this isn't going to work. So how, how does lighting work in, figure into your process, especially because usually that's a later part of the process. Mm-hmm. You might not discover it until you're very far along. It's a complicated relationship because you want, you need to be able to trust the person lighting the clothes. And you hope that with every costume that comes out on stage, they will adjust to what you have done. Mm-hmm. And Perhaps it's selfish to say that, but like we cannot go back and go through our process again because their lights have now made something look bad. They can change the lights with a click of a switch. So at that point, it's like, fix it. (laughs) This is not our responsibility. This is your responsibility. Yeah. So we always hope to have a kind of like good relationship to lighting designers so that we can go to them and ask that something shift if a fabric is kind of radiating in a way that was Mm -hmm. unexpected. And in a show like this, there's just so many costumes and many lighting cues that you kind of just have to like prioritize what really matters Mm -hmm. and then let other things go. And David Grill, the lighting designer, really evolved the lights over time. So things would change by small increments every day. And it was just a matter of kind of like being patient and, yeah. and waiting to see what happened. Yeah. Do you ever, when you're designing or even picking a fabric, think ahead to, oh, this is really beautiful, but no matter how it's lit, it's not going to work. Always. All the time. And we're always, uh, we love doing this thing where one of us holds up the fabric <laughs> and one of us tries to stand as far away as possible mm. in the shop and we ask ourselves, is this going to be effective on stage with lights? Like, does it matter? Does it matter? Because sometimes a beautiful fabric that's $500 a yard will do nothing on stage. Mm. Just be flat or whatever it is. It will look like nothing, even though up close, it's gorgeous. So that's like a constant. um, And we've been doing that since we started working at the ballet. Yeah. Yeah. Huge stages. Yeah. 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 We made, we used to make fabric, I mean, we still make fabric mistakes, but we would make more fabric mistakes in the past because we would get very attached Mm. to how a fabric felt or what it looked like up close. And that came from our fashion education of being like, isn't this exquisite? But really from the stage, oftentimes just trash looks the best. (laughs) It's true. And that's, and that's the difference between a costume and perhaps a piece of, you know, fashion. Mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes right now. I mean, it's all fashion, but, you know, right? Yeah. It, it, the, the distance is a, is a factor. Um, and Rita and I are sort of known for working with very nuanced colors, sometimes mm. very subtle variations in color. And one of the things I, we shifted moving from San Diego to Broadway was let's amp up some of these sections that in San Diego, we did like a palette of pinks. For Broadway, we got something like electric pink, mm-hmm. berry. So that was one of the things we really worked on, just mm-hmm. amping up some of the colors. Yeah, yeah. Making it all pop a mm-hmm. little bit more, right? Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, when we spoke to William, he, he told us a story about during the original uh, process of dancing, he happened to be with Willa Kim in her studio one day, and he watched her take a bunch of different pink fabrics 
dip them in water and pin them on a board. And he said, why are you doing that? And she said, well, this is a dance show. People are going to be sweating. I need to know what these fabrics look like when they're wet. Right. And he clocked that. And I was like, okay, that's a lesson. You work in dance. So sweat is a familiar uh, limitation or challenge that you must encounter. How do you plan for sweat with costumes? I think we've become pretty facile at understanding like how a fabric will react to moisture and movement. And, you know, again, we've made mistakes over the years. A lot of fabrics that seem like they'd be really great for dancing are made of rayon because they have this like beautiful kind of drop to them. And when rayon gets wet, it becomes like a board because it's made of wood fiber. So suddenly it like becomes wooden. And that's, I know it's very strange. So like we've, we've, you know, move away from certain fabrics that we know won't work. We know certain colors will take water and become very black. So Mm. you stay away from those, but you know, we're not yet dipping fabrics in water. I mean, that's a good lesson for us. (laughs) We've definitely designed things where we're looking at it and we're like, that dancer is sweaty and it's showing through and we're like you know what they're working hard they're working hard and that's okay yeah. we like real life yeah, yeah. that's part of the experience yeah. of the dance show right? you you want to see a little sweat how many costumes are there in the show jamie reed do you know i well i recently just made a kind of like track sheet there's there's about 200 well 22 dancers 16 on stage on any given night yeah so some people have like there's there's some between like ten and fourteen costumes a piece. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of them have a track of like Peter has the least because Peter oh. doesn't have costume changes in the big city. Oh right. Mine. Oh right. Of yeah. Right. Yeah, Which is like that. Yeah. that section is when everyone's changing costumes every two seconds. Right. So because Peter just has the one, he only has nine costumes in the show. Mm. Yeah. He wins the award. You know, Yanni. <laughs> Who has the most? Yanni. Yanni and Colton. Yeah. They have fourteen. In San Diego, were there things where you were raiding drawers at the Old Globe or or did you come in with everything kind of ready to go? San, in San Diego, <laughs> Big Deal was all pulled us from their stock. Raiding their stock. Yeah. So yeah. they had a really good stock of period clothes that we pulled from and those clothes are not meant for dancing in, so they got totally trashed. You're designers, you design the costumes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're sourcing things, but generally, you know, you come up with a design who builds the costumes? Do you build some or are they all built by other, you know, shops, so to speak? We've had many shops build this show, but we've also built some of the pieces <laughs> yeah. in this show. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially we have drawings of everything yeah. and then they get contracted out to shops and shops bid on the things they want to build. So then the whole catalog of clothes is then contracted out to a million different shops mm. And occasionally a piece will come in where the amount of time it would take to kind of reconcile what we actually want and what has been kind of offered to us in a fitting is so, it's such a chasm that we're like, it'll be faster if we just do it ourselves. Mm. Because Harry and I have a lot of experience building the costumes that we design. So though we don't really want to be the people building the clothes, occasionally it's just a big financial and time saver if we just take on little things that will make, alleviate a lot of stress for everybody. 
And is that is that a sort of typical? Is that your sense of like how things usually work? Or I, it seems I, like I, that is not typical. No, I don't think. Okay. I I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Broadway designer who would build anything for <laughs> their show. Yeah, beyond yeah. like gluing a jewel on something. Yeah, and in the dance world, is that is that the same, or no. are you accustomed to doing more building yourself it's in the dance both. world? So in 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 dance, like. Anything that's not ballet, a lot of ballet companies have a costume shop right, attached to their house. facility mm-hmm. or they spend the money to shop the clothes out. Beyond that, like everyone, the expectation is that the designers either build the clothes or figure out the production themselves. Mm. So this is modern dance companies. This is people who present their own work with, you know, freelance dancers. So we, for all those jobs, like we we do build the clothes. At opening night, my seatmate turned to me at intermission and said, the first thing she said was how many costumes were in the show, right? So hence, now we know, roughly. The second thing she said is, everything looks so pristine and so crisp and like beautiful as if they haven't like been dancing in them nonstop for, for weeks. That maintenance, I imagine, is part of your process, right? I mean, obviously you're not doing the maintenance itself, but when you're designing, I imagine you're thinking ahead to, okay, this has to be danced in and it has to be danced in repetitively, hopefully forever, but also on a day-to-day basis, the costumes have to be tended to. So who does that work and how does that figure into your to your process? We try <laughs> in, in the initial process of designing, you, you don't want to think about that. You don't yeah. want to have that be a parameter in the design process. But because we have experience, we it just comes with the territory. So we do understand once the designs start to be considered by the people who are building them, then there's an entire wardrobe team headed by a woman named Jessica Dermody on Danson who also participate in making decisions about how will this go on the body and does it need a lining that will keep it from getting destroyed over time? So then suddenly there's a whole collective of voices involved in figuring out the best way forward for construction and for also just the choreography of getting in and out of a costume. So that's something that does get considered and we try not to let it interrupt our design process. That's another place where we're in constant dialogue, you know, with the wardrobe team, they give us feedback on the quick changes. Mm. What kind of closure would be best for certain garments? Yeah, there's definitely a collaboration with the whole wardrobe team constantly. Right. Yeah. And we we kind of learned the hard way on this project about what are the implications of a quick change in, in a show like this. I mean, we've never been involved in a show where people had to change this quickly. And so the dancing man suits became this like huge question of like, how is this going to be possible to have, you know, 16 performers change in one minute into pants, jacket shirts and bow ties and boater hats. So in San Diego, they came up with a solution wherein the pants are attached to the shirt at the waist like a jumpsuit and they zip all the way up from the crotch. It then created this really unfortunate situation where having a zipper at the center front of a dress shirt does a really unfortunate kind of bubbling. Mm. And so weirdly over time, those zippers have softened and they look okay now, but there are new pants and shirts going into the show 
soon. They're not yet in the show. Yeah. But the new construction is that the shirt is mounted onto a pair of trunks that then sit into the pant and the whole, the shirt and the trunk zip up the back through the collar. So they can just step into the shirt. It zips up to the back. The tie is already set and they just put on their pants and their jacket. I'm sorry. I know that was a lot of no, detail, that's, but that's the detail we're looking for. That's fascinating. But it's those things that like make Harriet and I really sad. It's like a really unfortunate reality of things like that. Cause ideally you want them to go out in beautiful suits that like just go on like normal clothes, but sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes the rigging of it all and the hardware and the things that need to be done to make this costume wearable in the show will affect our design yeah. vision, which is, does make us sad sometimes. <laughs> Do you ever look at a mic pack and think it's um, ruining what I've designed? All, every day. <laughs> I had to mentally tell myself to just get over the mic packs in this show. Yeah. Just that's, there's not, you know, we've asked about it. There's just nothing. We occasionally do cosmetic little additions to hide it. Like we put bows on the back of the massage parlor costumes, Mm. but yeah, it's just, I guess, unavoidable in a, in a show like this. So you just divorce your mind from looking at them. So you've been working on the show daily nonstop for a year plus plus. Right. And so I'm curious now that you're sort of at the end of that time and you've spent a lot of time in the world of Bob Fosse, what does Bob Fosse mean to you? Bob Fosse, after a year of being inside of this show, has kind of moved into a place of importance in the kind of canon of American choreographers where in the past I had not considered him to be. That's only because I didn't know a lot about their body of work. But at this point, um, now that I have a much more comprehensive understanding of their contribution to American dance and having kind of generated this very iconic form in terms of style, I now think of Bob Fosse as one of the great 20th century American choreographers. That's that was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it there. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. The only thing I'd say is I feel like this is sort of the beginning of my kind of education on who Bob Fosse is. Mm. So I feel like I, I feel like there's still more for me to learn, which which is nice that this show has introduced me to his work in this way. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you both. Thank you. Thank you for thank having you us. Thank you both. This was nice. <laughs> A dancing man, a dancing man, with footsteps on the sands of Bob Fosse's Dancing is now on Broadway at the Music Box Theater. For tickets and more information, visit dancingbway.com. Dancing Man, a Fabulous Invalid podcast, is a production of O&M Etc. and the Fabulous Invalid LLC, and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to Civilian for hosting us, and to our audio engineer, Kyle Moore. If you liked this episode, we've got over 100 episodes of the Fabulous Invalid podcast that you can check out, including a two-parter on the life, work, and legacy of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.